Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Unhelpful perfectionism or clinical perfectionism is characterized by imposing excessively high standards on oneself and experiencing severe distress when these standards are not met. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in into another episode of the Playing It Safe podcast. This is Dr. Z. And today I am excited to share with you a conversation I had with Dr. Michael Tui, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Research Group. Mike is a licensed psychologist, and he's also the co-director of the Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Research Group at Utah State University. In this conversation, we chat in detail about one of the studies his lab conducted, delivering 10 sessions of acceptance and commitment skills for unhelpful perfectionists. Participants in this study completed assessments before the treatment, after the treatment, and one month after the treatment ends. So basically, there were assessments pre-treatment, post-treatment, and one month follow-up. On a personal note, a highlight of this conversation with Michael was chatting about how Many times, people who engage in perfectionistic, high-achieving, and striving behaviors hold with white knuckles onto rules about how things are supposed to be and how different act metaphors can be super helpful to navigate those moments. I want to encourage you to listen to this episode from the beginning to the end so you can listen to Mike's favorite metaphors to facilitate behavioral change and promote behavioral flexibility. I would love to hear how perfectionistic, high-achieving, and striving behaviors show up in your day-to-day life. So please message me at www.thisisdrz.com. On another note, if you want to figure out your playing it safe profile, if you want to figure out how you get stuck in your head every time you're dealing with worries, anxieties, and fears, please go to the website www.thisisdrz.com and you can complete a 10-minute questionnaire to figure out which thinking strategies keep you stuck in your head. In my work, I have identified 10 particular thinking strategies and behaviors that keep you stuck. And the challenge is that if you don't know how you're playing it safe 
and you keep doing the same thing over and over, you are going to perpetuate a cycle of stuckness. And I do believe that it doesn't have to be that way. So the first step to stop playing it safe all the time and do more of what really matters to you is to figure out your playing it safe profile. Once you complete this 10-minute questionnaire, in less than 5 minutes, you will receive an email with the results and the specific thinking strategies and behaviors that are keeping you stuck. We all play it safe. It's very cozy, it's very familiar, and it feels good to play it safe. Sometimes it can be adaptive. But what happens when you play it safe too much, too quick, and you don't pay attention to how those behaviors are working in your life? Are your playing it safe moves working for you or against you? So, again, the website is www that this is drz.com. If you go to the homepage, you will see a link to complete this questionnaire and I hope you do so. I wish you a great week and let's jump onto the conversation with Michael Tui. I know that you and Clarissa conducted a previous research and yes. in fact, in front of me, I have one of your papers. It's a paper that got published in... 2019, the results of a randomized control trial of acceptance and commitment therapy for clinical perfectionists. Right, right. And I would love to hear how was that research conducted? How did you find the participants? I know the participants received a 10-week treatment based on acceptance and commitment therapy So if we can dive into what the sessions look and the skills that participants learn, that would be lovely. How does it sound? Okay, so I'll try to go step by step. So the first is um, we received a grant from the International OCD Foundation to study uh, clinical perfectionism using acceptance and commitment therapy. So that was the first thing. And Clarissa, who was my PhD student at the time, we... We talked about, should you make this your dissertation, Um, kind of get a twofer out of this thing, like complete the project, but also she could be the leader and then it would count as her dissertation. And I just think an interesting thing is like, if you know Clarissa, I I mean, I honestly think she's one of the best researchers out there. Uh, You know, she did this real cool, like multi-step thing, like we had like neurological assessments using um, Mm. the FNIRS. It's like an fMRI, but Mm. on a low scale. So like we did functional neuro assessments at pre um, and at post to see if there's any change. And the cool thing about the FNIRS is like, you can do it while the person's doing tasks. So we had all these like interesting tasks that they could do. Mm-hmm. that would challenge perfectionism so we could see like areas of the brain lighting up that that go along with struggles with perfectionism um mike can i ask one question yeah. what would be one of the tasks that participants were doing you know okay if you remember no pressure at all well here's the funny funny thing i just i know we don't have video but i just brought home scratch paper from my office Mm-hmm. I love and it. I, and it's all scratch paper from the study. So like, oh, wow. Like this one is, it's a 
star with fire. And, right. And then it has an open, you know, part where you can trace the star. And mm-hmm. then we have them do it with their non-dominant hand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, like the person would like it to fit within, but then, you know, obviously you, your non-dominant hand isn't a skilled. So mm-hmm. what we're tracking is like, like there's a, a region I think that had to do with like frustration. And then it's very easy to tap into like cognitive chatter. Mm-hmm. Like that region is pretty easy to find where oh. was the person talking to themselves. Um, and that was one of the things we found that like at the end of treatment, they talked to themselves less. Uh, right which is kind of cool from an act standpoint here's like another one where they like are editing text that's right um it's just all stuff that sort of challenged their perfectionism and we got the tasks from from other uh from other people actually you know when i said they traced with their non-dominant hand i don't actually think that's right i think they traced it in a mirror oh okay Uh, yeah that's actually what they did and if I can compliment Chris again, she had to go like build the contraption to do it in. I remember that she like went to a wood shop and, you know, made this device with a mirror that you could slide your hand under and you can oh, only wow. see in the mirror. Yeah. That's fascinating. You see, I didn't know that there was that measurement on the study. That's really cool. Right. Those are like different publications from the study, like the, the neural mechanisms involved in perfectionism and in act for, for perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So the participants have to complete these assessments. And then once the participants are accepted into this treatment, into this study, they receive 10 sessions. Do you mind sharing a little bit what kind of skills participants learn? Okay. Well, um, one of the key things with the whole study, and I think we dove into it quite early and this is what kind of makes it different than the treatment of like obsessive compulsive disorder or other anxiety disorders is our flyers that we put on campus and online and because these people we saw in person this was pre-covid so we were in the same room with them it said do you have trouble turning things in on time do your tasks take longer than other people do you redo things are you getting poor grades for not uh, completing your assignments do people like loved ones or roommates um do you get frustrated with each other because because you need things done a certain way so it's our flyers didn't have the word perfectionism in them Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it feels like when you ask someone like are you too perfectionistic very few will say yes that's true that's true people will say no and also the things that is this myth that perfectionistic actions are related to academic performance but there's uh-huh. more than that right like how I show up to my friends how I relate to moral issues so that makes sense that we didn't use the word perfectionist on the fly recruiting people yes so then we would get people in and they'd say oh yes I have these um like if I just think of like a like a general participant we would have saw they'd say like oh I'm taking way more credits than I should be I'm in every social group every like campus group that I can fit into my schedule Um, I'm volunteering everywhere that I I can and I still am afraid I'm not doing enough Mm. I'm not going to be good enough to to get into whatever this thing is I want to do next and and then we'll say well then like 
like you knew this was a treatment study, like we we're going to work on these issues, then why are you here? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like, well, I want you to help me do this, mm. do more, be more successful, be greater, um, but not burn out. Cause like, like I can't take it, you know, like I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not eating well enough. I'm not socializing. And, you know, it's just like, I, I'm a, like a mouse on a wheel and I, I I'm running out of energy. Sure. That was kind of the description we would get from everybody. I see. I see. It's kind of like people are more focused in overcoming the consequences of all the perfectionistic actions, right? So they can keep right. pushing harder and harder. Right. So we, we would have to spend um, a lot of time talking about, I would picture that we did this early. Like we were talking about their values. Mm-hmm. Like what are you like, what are you really shooting for in life? what's working for you, not what's not working for you. Um, and, and we'd almost like stay on those topics long enough that they would lead us, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they'd lead us to saying like, it seems I need to do this differently. So mm-hmm. it was like, I don't want to tell someone, you know, like this part of your life's not working for you. Like we would just stay on it long enough that they would eventually tell us like my classes take me three times longer than everyone else. Um, I can't finish a chapter because I'm looking up every word I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And then, right. Right. You look up that word and then there's more words and it, it's like, I can't get through it. And, and we just sort of have to stay there until they're like, like, why can't I like do this faster or like easier? Like, why is it so hard for me? Mm-hmm. And then we could sort of approach this like concept of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can ask a little bit, um, sometimes the clients that I work with, they are very clear about what's important to them, but they are relevant to their values with a lot of attachment. They are relevant to their values with a lot of rigidity. Um, and then somehow one single task is the only way to live their values. How did you guys navigate that? You're naming a great, a great, great description of this. It's like, here's my value. Here's the path to get to my value. And, and I'd often use analogies. Like, here's the road you always take. Mm -hmm. Like what I'm almost picturing is like when I lived in Milwaukee, you know, there was the highway and that, if you put it into like Google maps, like that was the fastest way to get there. But if you lived in Milwaukee, that's not the case at all. The mm-hmm. fastest way to get there is, right, like you go down this goofy street and then you connect to this one way for four blocks and then you shoot back over here. And, and that's actually, it's so much better, but mm-hmm. no one would ever send you that way because it's weird. That's right. That's kind of what, what working with perfectionism, like your mind says, go this way, but, mm-hmm. but what if there's another route to help you get there? That just seems, it seems strange to you, but like everyone in the city knows it's the better route. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. Like, will I'd say to a client, like, will you try a different way with me? And, and maybe this will work a lot better. I love how you present that metaphors and how you tap in something that's very common. This is strong attachment to the values in a more rigid way. Um, and sometimes that also comes along with a strong attachment to the outcome. I need yeah. to get A's in all my papers. I need to go to the best school in the country. 
I need to always show up to my friends if they are struggling. How did you navigate that in that treatment? I feel like when you were saying like that example, like I must have A's. Like Mm -hmm. I I truly remember one of the clients said, uh, I have in the US GPA system 4.0 is perfect. She said, I have a 3.9 something uh, because I got an A minus once. Right. And she looked at me and and, in all honesty, she said, should I retake that class? Oh, boy. (laughs) Right. right? And I said, (laughs) you know, I mean, like, first I'd say, like, what's behind you saying that? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what's in there for you? And some of it's like the discomfort of not having a 4.0. And what will people think of me that I couldn't do it in that one class? And and then we talk about goals. Like, what are your goals? And, and I don't actually know what her goal was. I don't remember, but like, let's say she's like, you know, I want to become a, like an investment banker or something. I'd say something like, you know, I do admissions for my graduate program. What do you think I prefer seeing like a 3.9 or 4.0? Like, what do you think I'd actually think if you retook that class? Like, it just sometimes like these rules that we have in our head about these steps result in this outcome that Mm -hmm. some of the rules that we have learned are not, they're not accurate. Um, It's just more like, like doing really, really well has its place. And then doing well enough has its place too. That's true. I think there is a lot of rules that get developed. If I get A, then I will be successful. If I am loved by my friends, then everyone will love me and no one will abandon me or things like that. And and I love that you can teach participants how to discriminate. Um, So you start with looking at what people want to get off the treatment. You tap into values and then you see if there are other ways to live their values. But then, as we know, the mind keeps coming up with all types of things. Right. In the book, you guys did a beautiful job talking about the coherence trap. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm curious, when you guys were conducting the study, how did you navigate through that? Well, I mean, as, as you remember from the book, because I'm going to be honest, I'm not 100% remembering what we mean by that. But is that sort of like, is this like the rule thing? Like, like these steps lead to this and if I do it this way, it leads to this outcome. That's right. And it became so natural that that's yeah. the way that we think about getting things done, right? It's yes. like alternative ways, they don't seem to make sense to us, especially if we are prone to high achieving or striving actions. So that's the way that you guys describe it. Okay. Yeah. Like, like hard work works uh, results in good things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is... Yeah, which is a somewhat functional rule and somewhat not functional rule. I mean, what stands out to me is like, like our mind aims to be our friend mm-hmm. and it aims to help us, but it's a friend that's not always right. Or, or anyone who's a parent, it's like your mind at sometimes is a teenager, <laughs> like, like they're giving you, <laughs> they're giving you guidance, and it's good but it's like not always fully thought out or doesn't fully have all the experiences that might, you know, might be useful in that moment. So I think, you know, I would put out there the idea that like, I don't always, like we can't always trust your mind. Mm -hmm. Trying the hardest it can 
but it's not always going to give you good guidance. And what I do want you to pay attention to is pay attention to your experience mm-hmm. because um, you might be surprised that when you do things a different way, that you might actually get an outcome much like the one you want, mm-hmm. or even like maybe a different outcome slightly better. And and like, let's be open to that little bit of learning. Mm-hmm. And I'll usually use like some metaphor to help the person find that like, like one of the metaphors I'll use a lot, and this someone who's perfectionistic could could really see this. I'll say, I'll go to restaurants and I'll say, give me the thing that you think a vegan would enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. And then you know, the, the, the waiter might say like, oh, well, do you like spicy or, you know, sweet? And I'll be like, how about like, you just tell me, like, I don't even want to, after you give it to me, tell me what it is. Like, you just tell me. And that might make someone struggle, like mm-hmm. a perfectionistic person, because it's like, oh, I know what I like. Why leave this up to chance? Oh, yeah. would be rough for you. That would be rough for me. <laughs> yeah. But what what I find out when I do something like that is, I don't know, a third of the time, I'm just really surprised by how good it is because I would have never allowed myself to go there. It didn't fit with my rules of what I like. Mm-hmm. And then sixty percent of the time, I know my math doesn't work, but you know, well, the other two thirds. Um, it's not my favorite, but like, that's how you broaden your skill set. Mm-hmm. like force yourself to do something that you wouldn't normally do. Mm-hmm. And you'll be shocked at sometimes it like really opens up doors to doing it differently. I love that you emphasize how important it is to learn from our experience. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the basis of doing ACT, right? Learning ACT the skills that... We don't have to go along with our mind all the time, even though it's trying to protect us, but it's about giving ourselves permission to try new things, whether it's a new dish, a new biking route, and that's the biggest learnings for us. Mike, if I can ask a little bit more. So one of the processes within ACT that we talk up and down, left and right is diffusion, how we relate to our thoughts. You chat a little bit about it. But for people who are listening to this conversation and if they are struggling with striving behaviors, perfectionistic actions or high achieving actions, what will be your advice for them about how to relate to all the noise that shows up in their mind? What if thoughts, if then rules, when then? Thank you for that question. The thing that comes to my mind, it's like, like if you know your mind is not always as helpful as you'd like it to be mm-hmm. then when it says something to you that it's probably better to treat that like you know like maybe a billboard that's like have you tried the new coca-cola you know like it doesn't mean you have to but you know maybe you would want to do that like i don't know that it's just like some information um like sometimes i'll say you know, like if you come up to a traffic light and you have the, the red, yellow, green, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes at night they're flashing, right? It's like flashing yellow or flashing red. Why don't we have that in our town? It's like a flashing red is like a stop sign. A flashing yellow is like a yield. And yeah. I was like, maybe it's kind of like a flashing yellow or like a yield sign, which is like, hey, you should watch out here. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stop. 
but you know, just like be aware something's happening. Mm -hmm. um, that when your mind says, if you don't proofread that email before you send it to your boss, you might mess up. I don't know. Like notice, notice that your mind is saying that. And like, Patricia and I, you and, are, you and I are really good friends. Like you've probably read enough of my emails over the years. My, my mind's probably the opposite. Like <laughs> you, you should proofread that. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't really want to. Right. And, <laughs> right. And I, here I am a successful professor. I don't proofread emails. Mm -hmm. I just send them. And then, and then I get them back and I'm like, oh gosh, I can't believe I wrote that. But, uh, I could benefit from listening to my mind a little bit the other way, but also I will survive in this world just as well as someone who's proofreading it three times. And I'm going to have an extra 30 minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that example. I but I will be known as the person who writes a few goofy emails here and there. Which I absolutely love them, by the way. <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm like, oops, what did I say? <laughs> if I can ask a little bit more, I have a lot to say about this, but I'm not because it's, it's a tangent. I know that sometimes when people are learning to hold their mind lightly and to take things more as they come and to distinguish when to push harder and when to let things go, Sometimes there is a lot of shame. Like you and I, we can send all types of emails sometimes. And my emails have many typos hundreds of times. I may write in Spanglish other times. Yeah. And you know, sometimes when I look back, I say, oops, I can't believe that I sent that. Just like in mine. But I don't go into punishing myself for hours. I don't go into self-criticizing myself. Oh my gosh, my life is over. No one is going to take me serious. But I know... It's after years of learning act. So for people who are engaging in perfectionistic actions, when if they encounter mistakes, types, mm. flaws, sometimes they go into these states of harsh self-criticism. Right. Um, did you guys encounter that in the study? And what would you suggest for some of them that that's another way in which they get trapped in their minds? That is a really really wonderful question because you're right sort of what you're saying is <clears throat> like why can one person see whatever it is and it's you know and it's like you just breeze right past it right right and then the next person can see that and it's like you know what's wrong with me or or I'm picturing like I'm a supervisor or graduate students you know if one of my grad students sent out something Mm -hmm. you know that had some typos in it but I could see some advisor being like what's wrong with that person how do they not understand the the importance of all this that's right you know our this is a, a therapist line not a scientist line our brains are a bit like a computer like they just mm -hmm. do what they're they're do what they're programmed to do mm -hmm. so if your programming says errors are bad they show you're bad. They show you don't care, right? So then when they see one, they're, gonna, they're just going to spit out that response. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, well, errors mean the person's moving fast. Errors mean the person has better things to do with their time. Um, that's what my computer is going to spit out. And probably the thing is like, neither one's right. Mm -hmm. like, just like recognize that like 
we have a history of learning that led us to do what we're going to do. And that when we like evaluate and judge things, like to take all that lightly, mm-hmm. it's funny as I say this, cause like I have this, like, I'm okay with errors, but it, but I get bothered when people don't do what they said they're going to do or okay. right. Like if I send an email to a colleague, I like, mm-hmm. like, you know, someone I know, like, but I would consider a friend and they don't write back. Like I have this, like, what's up with that? Like mm-hmm. you don't have one minute to, but it's funny as I say this out loud, why, like, why do I grab onto that billboard as though it's real? Like, mm-hmm. that's just my programming. I, I don't know if anyone knows, but like Wisconsin heritage, which is I don't. Timely, timeliness. It's very German not to, I think I can say that, uh, you know, Wisconsin's <laughs> very German, you know, like you be on time, you do things when you say you're going to do them. Like if the party starts at 10, it starts at 10, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And that's just my programming probably that mm-hmm. like take. So if you can recognize it's not real, it's not right. It's just mm-hmm. like what your computer spits out, then you can, you don't always have to listen to it. Yeah. I think you're making a fascinating point. At the end, it's all about getting out of this dichotomous or binary way of looking at our mind of good and bad, right and wrong, and developing this new relationship with thinking in some way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then like, instead of right and wrong, good and bad, it's more like a, a functional way that's going to work for you in life. It's like, what do you want? Where do you want to go? And what's going to help you get there? Mm-hmm. And and again, your mind is going to do a crappy job of telling you whether you're going there because it's always judging things wrong. So it's just like you truly have to look at your experience and say like, you know, okay, well, here's what I wanted. Is it a happening? It is. So mind, like you can chill out now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's right. I wanted, like as a psychologist, like I wanted this many clients and as a professor, I wanted to do these, these things. And if they're happening, well, then you know, mind, like, you can chill for a sec. That's right. Sometimes I say, okay, I think I'm going to fire my mind for the next one hour. Yeah. yeah. What's going on? And I'm like, just fire mind. (laughs) That's the stuff. Mike, if I can do a follow-up, you say living functionally. Mm -hmm. For people who are not familiar with that, how would you explain to our listeners what it means to say living functionally? Yeah, maybe a way of thinking about it is sort of objectively looking at the outcomes, objectively looking at the the situation or how things are going, minus what your mind is saying about it. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I have like here's an example. Like, I have another book, and in like the very first figure, there's mm-hmm. like a very obvious word spelled wrong. Uh, (laughs) I haven't guessed that yet. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like so obvious that no one even reads it because we all Mm -hmm. know what word it is. Okay. So we just skip over it. Um, And that's one of those, like, if you look at it, like big picture, well, the book is out, it's there. If you go on Amazon, it has good reviews. Um, um, Right, and that's like holding on to that versus what my mind says of like, whose fault is it that that figure got through? Mm -hmm. Right. And even like right now, my mind is like, 
well, that was a weird one because like when we proofread, see, this is very mindy right now, but I'm still going to say it, but it's very like baloney mindy stuff. The figures weren't in the proofs. So like they were, they were like in a different thing. So I never looked at the figures again because they didn't come through. Mm-hmm. But like notice how much chatter my mind is having over that when like functionally the other 350 pages are probably fine. And heck, there could even be more errors I just don't know about. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like that. Like, like I, I don't, I'm trying to think of other things I can say. Like, you know, you see someone else who did more than you or earned more than you. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to look at it and say, well, like, what did I want to do? Mm-hmm. If I'm doing what I wanted to do, then mind, like, it's okay that I'm not like that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the way that I hear is that living functional also can be about learning from our experience, what works, what's meaningful, what's purposeful, because at the end, skillfully navigating a proneness for high achieving behaviors requires that. Letting it go of what people expect from you, letting it go of all the things that you're supposed to be doing and finding your thing, your rhythm to get things done. The things that they speak to you, right? Yes. Well, if I can give like one example, this was- I would love to. This one yesterday. So I'm a professor and my semester ended a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. And weirdly, yesterday I had no meetings and I'm caught up. Wow. Right? So like- Wow. And But the wording would be, if you keep working, that's how you'll do well. You know, like there's always something to do. I like did my email and then like hung out with my wife and just sort of like goofed around the rest of the day. But the whole time the mind is saying like, yeah, but you should be, you know, like getting ready for X, Y, and Z or reading that paper that student sent you. And that that's where I couldn't, like my mind wanted me to go in one direction. But if I really looked at my experience that taking the day off was fun, taking the Mm -hmm. day off improved the relationship with my wife and like everything's fine like it's no like my career is no different whether I work yesterday or not that's true and you only can learn that through experience right not by thinking and thinking but by doing it right that's that's the biggest thing yeah 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 so I think that's what we're talking a little bit that living functionally in some ways about letting it go especially rules or oaths or masks or things that we're supposed to do or what others expect us that we should do and find what works for us. But we won't learn that by thinking and thinking, but by taking action, by doing. That's right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dear Mike, we're running out of time. I have to say that it was really exciting to read the papers that you guys publish in your lab on perfectionists, I know it's really hard to put these studies together. Yeah. So tons of appreciation for all the hard work you and your doctoral students are doing. One of the things that really called my attention among many is the outcomes that you guys have with this study. They are right. just really, I think, very fascinating. And I'm wondering if you could please elaborate a little bit on that. Uh, did they have pre and post treatment and you also had follow-ups if you have to summarize the findings in the post treatment and the follow-ups that would be lovely you're putting me a little to task because i'd probably want to pull the paper up in front of me 
Uh, so it's a good one to ask Carissa too. So, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about this study is, is like we had to measure like the, an outcome variable is going to be like level of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had people with kind of across three different disorders. So we had OCD, GAD, OCPD. They were kind of our big, and you have, if you're in the field, you know what all those initials mean, but they're, you know, they're psychological issues that have a similar, that could have a similar underlying function, but are like, they don't show up the same way. And I'd say one thing that was interesting is we were able to impact perfectionism and increase quality of life uh, across all those things using this one protocol. Wow. Which that's, that's one of the things I think was like particularly nice that like if, if what you're working with has perfectionism, this would Mm -hmm. fit. And then I don't actually know this for a fact, you could ask her, but Clarissa, I, I wonder if, if we even had people with OCD, you know, who tried to enroll, but weren't high in perfectionism, like Mm -hmm. that's ultimately the thing that we needed in our study. Fascinating. So you saw a shift on the results for all participants, whether they had chronic worry, generalized anxiety disorder, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Okay, that's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're all in the treatment group, but yeah, it was kind of a cool, like kind of transdiagnostic approach. Like we addressed perfectionism, not a disorder. That's right. If I can ask a little bit more, there is this other measurement, the OQ45? Yes. Do you mind sharing a little bit of findings from that? Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously perfectionism would be like what I would say probably the primary target, mm-hmm. but the OQ45 is this common measure people use in um, outpatient clinics. So if you're like a, a college counseling center where you have all sorts of issues coming through and it just gets at functioning. So like, like all levels of life functioning, jobs, relationships, whatever. Um, so we would want that to go up too. So as mm-hmm. adjusts, so does your functioning. And then lastly, <clears throat> there is also another measure from the AAQ2, which yes. relates to the ACT processes. Any observations? All the measurements have been statistically significant based on the paper, but any observations of the results of the AAQ2? Yeah, so, and this would be a great question to ask Clarissa, because I think there's okay. a process of change paper um, but oh, nice. that, you know, changes in the AQ, which is psychological flexibility, which are all the topics we've been talking about, that mm-hmm. changes in that are related to later changes in, in how someone interacts with their perfectionism. And Clarissa has a great cross-sectional paper. Cross-sectional just means like at one time point. <clears throat> okay. And, and actually when I say, you may not, it may have two time points, but, but the function of the paper is to say, it's not whether you have perfectionistic beliefs, but it's how you interact with them mm-hmm. that, that predicts, you know, sort of good functioning in life or not. So uh, I think in terms of our outcomes and then that, that additional paper I'm talking about, that it's not really whether you like being perfectionistic or it's a style you have. It's like what you do with it when it's there and can you choose when to listen to it and when not to. That's powerful. That is very powerful. 
And on that note, can I ask the last question? Uh-huh. Mike, if you were to have a cup of tea or coffee or a beer with any person you want today, who would that be and why? Who would that be? Um, and there is no perfect response here. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, if I had to pick really quickly, there's a pro mount, uh, pro, I said mountain bike. He's a pro road cyclist, uh, Alex Hawes. Mm. He lives in Boulder. And he's actually like not all that famous. Um, like he's won some races here and there. Uh, but I don't really see a, a time in life when, when I'd ever get to talk to him. But he's he's just cool and he's interesting. And and I like I've always liked the way he's done things. And I've he's sort of been, you know, like a basketball player might watch LeBron James their whole career and be like LeBron James. Now, Alex Hawes has always been someone I've just been like, that guy's so cool. So anyways, I'd love to hear what it's like. To, if you don't know, I'm really into cycling to hear what it's like to be like a real pro and to have done these the Tour de France and, you know, like raced at that level. And, and I don't know, his personality sort of seems like mine. Really? Yeah. Well, I will check him out. I will check him out. He's Mike a goofball. Dane, he's a goofball? Okay. Yeah. More reasons to check him out, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, of course, I always appreciate your recommendations. I love them. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for the time, for chatting with me. And I hope I can bring you back in a couple of months again. Okay. It's good to see you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Um, Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon! <laughs>